0: Welcome to Season 1 of Reclaiming Jesus Now.
1: Ten conversations with Jim Wallace exploring the themes of his new book, Christ in Crisis.
0: We're your host. I'm William Matthews.
1: And I'm Allison Trowbridge. This is the tenth and final episode of Season 1.
0: Becoming salt, light, and hope.
1: So I actually want to kick off this last episode with this beautiful depiction of salt and light as it pertains to both conservative and liberal parties. I think that the idea of salt and light is something that we, if we've been a part of the church for some time, we've almost become immune to hearing it because it seems like such a given of, oh yes, go be salt and light. But we really don't resonate with the depth of meaning uh, in what Jesus is asking us to do there. And there's this beautiful passage in this, the beginning of this chapter that talks about uh, the conservative values of being salt in the world and the liberal values of being light. I think it's a beautiful picture of what it looks like following Jesus into the world, which is neither a conservative nor a liberal ideal, but both, and the interplay of both together.
2: I think you're exactly right that we hear this, you are the salt of the earth, And the light of the world. It comes right in the Sermon on the Mount after the Beatitudes. So here's a whole new way of living that turns the world upside down. The world needs you to do this. We'll call it salt and light, says Jesus. And I began to think how complementary but different salt and light are. Salt is the preserving, the seasoning. The holding things together, the glue. And there are values that we need to have to hold societies together. And conservatives love to talk in those ways about those best values as you just described. But then shining the light on places that are dark or things that have not been revealed or things that are wrong or where people are hurting and need to be changed, social change when we no longer accept things the way they are anymore. That's how movements start, and that's how change happens, and that's what liberals and progressives like. So these are both preserving what is good and necessary and shining light on what's wrong and needs to be changed. You don't have to blow everything up to change what needs to be changed, but you've got to have preservation in society in order to change things and move in a different direction. That really struck me. This is a whole new insight for me about what salt is and what light is and how they really are the best of what we call conservative and liberal or progressive.
0: I find both of those realities very much present in the sacred text and also the character and nature of God. Like, I see the 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 tendency for God to go like you said, holding on to the cohesion and to the the preserving and also to the tradition. Mm. Like there's something beautiful yeah. about passing on tradition generation to generation and also like telling of the stories. And this is who we are, our moral values are being shared through these the text and these stories and these um lives lived and and the conservative impulse to do that feels so right on the money. And so like, like we can't just discard that, you know, like we have to, at least we have to weigh it in, in, in the modern context. Like the impulse that says, like I when people say, you know, well, what about the word of God in your life? Right. We can often take that as feeling like that's a religious statement. Like, why are you trying to hold me to that? Sometimes I think it, the more liberal among us can do that. I've, I've been guilty of that. <laughs> I'm like, this book does not control me. <laughs> I just get really, you know, like antsy about it. But actually, there's something really beautiful to to hold your life in light of these values that have been passed down and, and getting to wrestle with that, right? Mm-hmm. But also, there are things in the liberal side in terms of like, I see the future. I see where this is headed. And I think you can see that inside of the text, too. The text and the character and nature of God carry both realities of like a God who is who's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and loves tradition and value, but also the God of the future who is drawing and pulling humanity to this omega point, right? To this, like, he's saying, I see the end from the beginning. So he's like, I'm far ahead of you. I'm already working things out for your good.
1: An arc of history bending towards justice. An arc
0: of history that bends towards justice and righteousness and, and both coming along together. And so I think that's God. I think we are in the image of God. And so both, are, are real for us. And I think we would do each other a service to see that impulse in each other as good. And that none of us are really trying to destroy America. <laughs> and none of us are really trying to, you know, we're all trying to, to actually make something that we think is good better. And I think if we can start again from that place, I mean, that would take a lot of moral trust. <laughs> to do but i think if we can even remotely begin to dialogue from that place we might be able to not just reconcile our political system i think we can even reconcile excuse me i think that we could even reconcile god and our view of god and we wouldn't have these fragmented understandings of the character and nature of god we could see god in wholeness and as richard say that's the true mark of a saint is to see in wholeness and
2: not parts and it's what the world needs the world needs those two things to preserve and sustain. I mean, we feel that we feel like sometimes things are unraveling all around us, and you feel, wait a minute, you a progressive can feel like a conservative sometimes. Wait a minute, we have to. We're losing something here. We're losing some important values. But then, this injustice, this pain, suppression, this is in the dark, and we're silent. And we have to reveal it and show it and name it and point it out and change it. I would say every generation has to decide what they think is no longer tolerable, Mm. no longer acceptable, and no longer inevitable. That Mm. this is not something I can no longer. This is something that we as a generation can, will no longer accept. And we also don't believe it is impossible to be changed. We think it can't be accepted and it can be changed. That's what social movements do.
0: (laughs) Yeah, they teach it. They
2: name things and say, this is no longer going to be the way it is because we're going to make it different. We're going to make it better. So if you lose either of those, those, those driving forces, you're in trouble.
1: So I, I come back to this idea of crisis being both danger mm-hmm. and opportunity. And the word that that really comes out of this chapter for me is the word of hope, which is four letters you've been preaching on for a long time, Jim. And within a, a very divided, divisive political climate, how do we look at hope in this current context?
2: That's that to me is finally the important question because faith communities are looked to most of all for that societies movements need hope and so i've always said that hope is not a feeling or a mood or a personality type hope is a decision it's a choice you make because of this thing we call faith. And so, you know, as as you know, Hebrew says now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Mm-hmm. Or my best paraphrase of that is this hope means believing in spite of the evidence and then watching the evidence change.
1: Mm. I
2: don't have any quotes that we put on coffee cups except for that one at Sojourners. <laughs> Is
1: that? Can I buy that coffee? There's cup? There's a
2: coffee cup that I have coffee with that has that on the on the. I'm gonna on
1: order those course. for me and you, me and you, William. But to me, that that kind of wow. S- thank you. <laughs> th-
2: this will be. I'll give them to you, and that'll be my thanks for all this work. Done. Um, uh, but that really says it all for me because the evidence says this can't change, and we say no. Hope is believing that it can, that it will. And I often tell, uh, I learned my theology of hope, a lot of it in South Africa. I remember I was snuck in there during the apartheid days to strategize with the South African churches about the alliance with the American churches and how we could in fact end apartheid. And the sanctions campaign came out of that along with a number of other things. But I remember I remember I was snuck in the country, and so my friends couldn't meet me at the airport. I was on all the security lists in South Africa, so I couldn't just come in by the usual channels. But I had to meet Desmond Tutu and Alan Busak and Frank Chikani at the St. George's Cathedral. That was our meeting place because a rally had been called, and, uh, and I showed up for the rally, but all of a sudden the rally was canceled by the government so Desmond Tutu, this is his cathedral in Cape Town. He says, okay, we're just going to have worship then. We're going to have a worship service. Try and cancel that. So they couldn't do that. So here we go. We're in a worship service. And we're huddled in what's kind of a small cathedral. And there were two or three times our number outside of police and military. Heavily armed, riot gear, automatic weapons. We were outnumbered three to one, and it was meant to make you feel scared. And with me, it worked. (laughs) (laughs) Just sitting there, first time I arrived in South Africa, uh, Desmond Tutu begins to preach. And all of a sudden, they break in the doors, the front doors in the back of his cathedral, just bust them in. And South African security police, who really are thugs, i been interrogated by them. They really are thugs. They line the walls of the bishop's cathedral. In their hands, they have tape recorders. In the old days, tape recorders and pads of paper writing things down, saying, in effect, go ahead. Say what what you want to say. You just came out of prison. He had just done that. And we'll put you back there. Go ahead. We're going to record it. We're going to write it down. Go ahead. Be prophetic. They were saying to him, really, we own this country. We own this church. We own you. We own your God. He stopped preaching, bowed his head, you know, Desmond Tutu, little man, long flowing robes. He looked like Yoda there for a minute. And all of a sudden, he paused to pray. We all wonder what he would say. Then he looked up. He looked at these police, and he smiled. He said, you, you are very powerful, pointing his finger. You are very powerful, but you are not gods. And I serve a god who will not be mocked. Then he said, so, and he began to bounce like a good black Baptist preacher. He says, so, jumping up and down, since you've already lost, we invite you today to come and join the winning side. (laughs) (laughs) We're surrounded. And he says, since you've already lost, we invite you today to come and join the winning side. And the young people in the cathedral just leapt out of their seats. And there's this Dance chant called the Toy Toy, and we just sang that and danced out of the cathedral right into all the police and military. And they didn't know what to do because they didn't expect to be confronted by dancing worshipers. <laughs> wow, and they all backed up. So then, 10 years later, I met the inauguration, blessed to be there, of Nelson Mandela. Guess who's the master of ceremonies? Archbishop desmond tutu i said bishop tutu (laughs) you remember that day in saint george's remember what you said remember what we did and he smiled you remembered i said bishop today they've all joined the winning side because there wasn't one white south african that day who hadn't always been against apartheid Today, they've joined the winning side. Now, it's lovely, wonderful, a blessing to be at the party, the inauguration. It was a wonderful thing. 120,000 South Africans standing together, tears coming down our faces. International guests from all over the world. But the place we're needed isn't there at the party. We're needed back at the cathedral when you're surrounded and you can only see the party and the celebration through the eyes of faith. And that's what taught me that here's how change always happens. Faith, prompting hope, prompting action, and making change. Faith, hope, action, and change. And that's what we can contribute as people of faith, the eyes of faith that say, I believe in that party. And I'm going to, as Tutu would say, you got to believe it and bet your life on it.
0: hmm but the, the, the faith that it takes in that moment to see that future reality, that future moral imagination, it's, it's deeply powerful. It's resistance. And I, I think it's Reverend William Barber that makes this uh, quote, and I love it because to me, this is why we should always have hope. He says, there always comes a time, no matter how bad things get, where evil overreaches evil always overreaches and it shows its hand and it felt like in that moment that's what that man was prophesying with that song and with that dance like you've already lost (laughs) this act of you being in this cathedral is showing your hand evil is overreaching right now and he could um, it was almost like a prophetic sign for him to take joy and delight to
2: know that the victory was his and that's why hope is a door yeah hope is a door on one side of the door, uh, things that look impossible, like would never happen when evil is overreaching and winning. But when you walk through the door and look back, you think, oh, this was inevitable. This was always going to change. No, it, it wasn't. You had to open the door and walk through the door. And the door is hope. you got to open that door and walk through it. Then all of a sudden, new possibilities just start opening up
1: mm. and you say you say here that that resurrection is that door of hope and the resurrection comes only by the cross and so we see this intermixing of suffering and hope joined together across human history
2: well let's talk about that let's talk about the resurrection what are we doing here getting theological and so i'm at lunch one day with two New Testament scholars, very famous, we're speaking together at a conference, and they like all my social justice stuff, and they're in this too. And uh, but then they say, "Jim, just checking. Um, do you actually believe in a historical resurrection, an actual historical resurrection?" you believe in that? I looked at them and said, yes, I do. They said, well, for us, it's more metaphorical or metaphorical. Now, I'm aware of the whole debate between theologians about whether it's true or not true and all that. Books have been written. So I wasn't going to go back to all that. What came to mind in that moment was this. I said to them, hmm, Do you think a merely metaphorical resurrection would have been enough for Desmond Tutu in South Africa? Silence. No more conversation. It wouldn't have been. It wasn't. The resurrection isn't metaphorical for me. Uh, I stand on that. And so that's why I believe... No matter how much evil is overstepping hmm. or demanding or claiming, uh, I know what Bishop Desmond Tutu said. You know what? We're on the winning side. Yeah. But you have to go through that door. You have to believe that. And you got to, as he said, bet your life on it hmm. to make it true. So that's a powerful belief in hope. Hope is something you choose. You decide you look through, as you said, look through the eyes of faith. Faith is so hard when you have to see what you believe and believe it's coming. You don't know how long. You don't know what it will take. You don't know what sacrifices are involved. But you know that, in fact, the arc of history, as Dr. King said so well, bends toward justice. And that's a side you're taking.
0: You're so right. Like I, It's funny because I keep thinking of all these, like, black gospel worship songs that I grew up singing mm. and uh, there's one by Fred Hammond where it says late in the midnight hour but I mean it's based on scripture. Sing it. Late in the I'm not, <laughs> late in the midnight hour God's gonna turn it around it's gonna work in your favor but the thing about that is you wouldn't have hope to believe mm. that weeping may endure for a night mm-hmm. but joy comes in the morning if there wasn't that belief like so the resurrection talks teaches me to have faith that what seems darkest can can bring about a new dawn and so metaphorical or literal you just know it's true Mm -hmm. it's so deeply true it's like people like is it literal or not literal i'm like yes (laughs) (laughs) it's everything
1: (laughs) yeah it's
0: you know yeah and and it's but it's the 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 knowing of that possibility
1: yes yes the and the dark before the dawn my my friend bob goff talks about he uses a lot of plane metaphors and he talks about when you're about to hit the speed of sound the the plane just starts shaking mm. everything just starts shaking and it feels like it's all going to fall apart and the bolts are all going to burst out and then you pass through wow
2: and that's where that's where i think um uh that's why the black church was so There wouldn't have been a civil rights movement that was successful without the black church as the animating infrastructure. It was never just Christians. Movements never are. And they shouldn't be. They should be all kinds of people. But we should be the animating core because people went to Dexter Avenue in Montgomery on Sunday morning with this 26-year-old new black pastor who now was the leader of this bus boycott. They went there because, number one, they had to get inspired weekly because of what they were going through every day. They had to be, get, keep inspired. But then uh, the, the carpools were signed up for in the foyer. And if you need a ride and can't take the bus, you got to get to work. And thirdly, you got to know what you, you just said. We're gonna win.
0: We're gonna win, guys.
2: We're gonna win, and who knows how long it will take? Maybe not this time, but we are going to win, and that animated movements again and again. So, movements for women's suffrage, abolition of slavery, civil rights, South Africa. You know, Nelson Mandela knew he when he got out of prison. He had a service in Soweto Stadium, he invited all of us faith people who were part of that movement. And he thanked us for how, if it wasn't for the transforming power of faith, there wouldn't have been an end to apartheid.
0: Well, that that Hebrews 11 scripture, which you bring in this chapter of the book, is so powerful because it's naming the lineage and the legacy of the men and women who have gone before mm. us. It's speaking of the faith that has preceded us, but also the faith that is ours to enter into in this moment. So like going back to the salt and light thing, it's like, There is the salt, this preserving legacy from from ancestors and generations before Mm -hmm. that is real. And then and then then Hebrews calls it the great cloud of witnesses Mm -hmm. (laughs) and that you are being championed and you like we're being championed by the ones that have gone before cheering us like the prophets like are cheering us on.
1: We stand on the shoulders of giants.
0: We stand on their shoulders, and we get to enter into a new beloved community, a new reality, that that we might not see the fullness of it come to completion. We are just we are entering Mount Zion, but we we are we are just doing that, and then the kids that come after us.
2: So you're going to get me get me going now, because you mentioned the cloud of witnesses. Let's now, talk about them now. One of my elders, one of my mentors, was Vincent Harding, mm. who was in the inner circle of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Uh, of the Southern movement and became one of the best historians of the whole black freedom struggle. And and he preached this sermon that became an article in Sojourners called The Cloud of Witnesses. And uh, he said, who were the people around Martin Luther King Jr.? So we went expecting him to name some of the other. And he talked about all these ancestors, mm. all these these Voices and 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 he said they're like, and the scripture says, and there the fulfillment of their salvation depends on you. They are invested in you. They're not fulfilled until you act. And Vincent said they're like cheerleaders, in the stands, and you're on the field in the mud. You're fighting, but there they are, and so. On my wall at home, the place where I wrote most of this book, I have a whole wall of my cloud of witnesses, my family of faith. Mm. This is the family, and and Dorothy Day is there, Mm. and Martin is there, and Malcolm is there, and Sojourner Truth is there, and Fannie Lou Hamer is there, and Gandhi is there, and Bonhoeffer is there, and Mandela is there, and Tutu is there. They're people that go back a long time, but who really literally literally in that room are hovering wow hovering around me as i write and they inspire and they cheer and i go home at night to stuff you know amazing stuff going on that can discourage me and there they're saying it's okay we knew that too we felt that too but here we go again here we go again here we go again so they're cheerleaders in the uh, in the stadium and they're invested in your fulfillment of even their vocation were tied together that scripture says and that's an amazing thing it's a it's a beautiful history and a
0: legacy and an inheritance in christ jesus that we get to enter into and partake i know for me my my cloud of witnesses has james baldwin mm-hmm. <laughs> it has george mcdonald mm-hmm. madeline l'angle <laughs> it has Tehard de renee Girard, james cone like, and and I also think of my grandfather, who was a missionary uh, to Barbados, and my grandmother as well. I think of the men and women in my own family who have invested just in a practical level on me being here with the hope and the dream of, you're going to carry us forward. You're going to carry the hope and the dream of the slaves forward. And so for me, being Black is so much more richer to me when I think of, the Vincent Harding's of the world when I think of the Ruby sales or or I think of these the, the, the Frederick Douglas and the uh, W.B. Du Bois and the, the ones who really charted the black intellectual like freedom fight like I get to live in the the afterglow and the fruit of that but I also get to bring it bring it forward and I really this is why I think I'm still a Christian because the book of Revelation also has this picture of the the harps and the bowls and these the prayers From all the generations that have been ascending right and then you see this picture of they're like the martyrs are like how long oh lord how long till justice right like how long and then you see the prayers basically being like poured back down (laughs) Mm -hmm. all the prayers of generations and i i i still believe prophetically that we're going to see the fruition of of the prayers of our grandparents and our great grandparents the things the longings of justice they've wanted to see that we're going to be the inheritors and the fruit of that. And then our children will inherit that too.
1: It's a garment of mutual destiny, as Dr. Mm. King would say.
0: I like that, garment
1: of mutual we're destiny. We're all tied together in a garment of mutual destiny.
2: Yeah. And when people are struggling with hope, which a lot of people are right now, they need to do what you just did. In fact, we've done this sometimes as a spiritual exercise. Name your cloud of witnesses.
1: Oh, I love that.
2: Name your family of faith. They can be the famous ones that are on our walls, and you just named a lot of them. Uh, but they can be that, that woman who was your teacher, your grandmother, uh, that person who was never famous, but who shaped you and made you who you are today. Name, and we've done that to, together in circles of people, and it gets very emotional. Naming your cloud of witnesses who have gone before who shaped who you are, whose prayers are being fulfilled in you and what you're doing right now. And we need that cloud of witnesses to go forward in a difficult time. Because the cynicism and withdrawal, which is our human response to how bad things are and how bad things get and how dangerous things are becoming. The response to that really finally is hope as a decision, as a door, surrounded by our cloud of witnesses.
0: Well, wow, you're like really making me tear up a little bit. <laughs> I, I feel like this is such a door right now. Like I, I'm still thinking Hebrews 11, and I'm thinking how Abraham obtained the promises by faith. And what you just said to me was so powerful because it doesn't matter whether you are even physically related to these people, but by faith you obtain the promise. Like Abraham looked at the stars and by faith obtained that like God said you would, the, you would outnumber the stars in the sky. Like your, your, your descendants, your inheritors will outnumber them. And up by faith, he obtained that reality and manifested it and like you said, so many people are living in despair. So many people are living in hopelessness because they don't realize they're connected to a lineage. That by faith, they're grafted in to the family of God and to the tree of God, which is which is, the history of humanity, our moral history. And so to me, that's what saved me in my deepest times of despair. When I felt like I wanted to give up on myself in life, it was, it was reading Madeline Lango. It was reading her living epistle that made me Realized that I was a living epistle as well. And it restored that dignity back to me. Same for, like I said, James Baldwin, Teilhard de Chardin, but also looking at my own actual family's history. But even if you don't even have that, and I know there are a lot of people that don't have that, they don't know who their family is. By faith, like, like Abraham, you get to obtain, like Jacob, by faith, obtain the promise. And I feel like for the first time when you said that, I, I, that's the capstone to me of Hebrews 11.
2: Mm-hmm. I got that now. And then women find, their, and they see Sarah, not just Abraham, but Sarah. And they see all of the women who are part of that cloud of witnesses uh, who are, you mentioned Manal I mean, Dorothy Day is on my wall, in you know, Sojourners, how about Sojourner Truth, and everything she was and stood for. So we've just done our little, so... Allison, your cloud of witnesses. Mm. When you think about that Hebrews text and and that cloud, I mean here, to be, to be moving forward as a woman, as a woman of faith in a society where that's so painful and difficult to do. And you wrote a book called 22 about while well, you were a, a kid of a kid, how did you, you were looking for that kind of support and help. And so as a woman and as a woman of faith, uh, who are the women and men, the, the people who are, for you, uh, that on that wall for you, mm. that cloud of, that, that
1: yeah, yeah, cloud
2: of witnesses.
1: I mean, I think of you know those generations. My grandmother, who I never met, who was the matriarch of our family, and my mom, who's prayed for me every day of my life, and 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 my father. Who's the way that he showed us sacrificial love and 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 care and trust and and the friendships that that surround me? My best friend. I, I mean, so I feel spoiled in those relationships and that cloud of witnesses. And I think Madeline uh, Madeline Lingle was a big one for me too. As a little girl, she she has this beautiful line where she says, write the book that needs to be written, and if it's too complicated for adults, you write it yeah, for children.
0: children. Yep. <laughs> yep.
1: And I used to read her books as a little girl, and she showed me a spirituality and a way of seeing and understanding God that is beyond an understanding that I even hold today as an adult. Um,
0: Side note: Let's go to St. John the Divine while you're here. And oh, hope, I'd love that. Because she's buried there, and there's also really? a little memorial there for her. Yeah, let's go see it while we're here.
1: I would love that. Okay. Keep going though. Mm. Uh, C.S. Lewis. It's been a big one for me, Jim. Mm-hmm. You and I have talked mm-hmm. about him yeah. a lot. Um, gosh, uh, William Wilberforce.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I spent I've spent about a decade working against anti slavery and. To see that as being a fourth abolition movement in modern history, that is, you know, a movement forward ahead of the abolitionists that um, that began in in England, um, as, along with Moore, along with you know the other um, Hannah Moore mm-hmm. um, with Wilberforce, uh,
2: caught up in a revival, Wilberforce. Was caught up in a revival as a parliamentarian. His part was to call for the end of slavery, and he was laughed at when he put that forward. And then, decades later, when it finally happened, uh, there was a standing ovation, and he died three days later, cause his work was done. But it was—he was acting in faith. It was this. There was no possibility of this, cause they all said, "Well, if we don't have slaves." The French and the others—they'll have slaves. And we'll fall behind. It was impossible to call for the abolition of slavery, and he did as a matter of faith.
1: Mm. Yeah, and even, even, um, even in our present day, that our recently, recently passed Rachel Held Evans, mm-hmm.
2: and a part of her gift was lifting up other voices. Yeah. That was part of her vocation, to lift up other voices who were salt and light.
1: Mm. Bless her. I think think when we can become overwhelmed by the news of the day, to be reminded of Mm -hmm. the footsteps that we walk in and those who've gone before us, Every one of them facing some matter of immense resistance, both in their personal lives and in their socio political time. I think it gives us great hope and great encouragement that we're not only not alone, but that we're a part of something so much bigger I than think just our own.
2: Naming uh, salt and light where we see it is for me. I did a lot of that in this chapter. It's, it's the Parkland students yeah. yes. are changing the whole yes. conversation. It's not just parents of little children killed. It's students who are saying, we're not going to accept this anymore. We're going to change this. Get out of the way. We're going to change this. Or the Black Lives Matter. least a whole infrastructure now of black activists all over the country, the white allies alongside them. Um, the Dreamers the DACA students, yes, yeah. who have transformed the nation's understanding of Im- immigration. Nobody wants to, to deport the Dreamers. Yeah. <laughs> like I think 90% of the country wants them to stay or the way women rose up after this election. The
1: survivors too. Yeah.
2: And the women running for office and yeah. and, and, and the movement of women in the churches. My, my wife, Joy Carol, was one of the first women ordained in the Church of England. And I remember... She was celebrating Eucharist at this thing called Green Belt. You know, twenty thousand young people, and my four-year-old son sitting in my lap. Our son Luke sitting in my lap, watching his mom do this Eucharist and whatever. She would say, they would say also with you. She say they back and forth, back and forth. She's and they're doing whatever she's telling them to do. And my son looks up at me and says, "Dad, can men do that too?" <laughs> so and so a whole new generation. Seeing women in their collars and yeah. their ministry, whether they're priests or clergy or not, but leading in all kinds of ways is changing the narrative. So the salt and light that changes our narrative and makes us think we can do this too. I mean, the last, the last three to five years, for me on a personal
0: level, but as well as on a collective level, <sighs> I felt so much loss. It's been a lot of loss. But as we sit here and name what has come out of the last 3 to 5 years, I'm mm. so much to be grateful for. Mm. These movements you mentioned, Standing Rock, Ferguson,
2: mm.
0: I'm grateful I'm really grateful for everyone who decided not to be passive and to 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 fight for what they believed and to raise a voice. It's inspired me. Like when Rachel died, I, instead of simply being lost in the grief of it, I thought, how can I honor her memory? How can I Mm -hmm. speak up and be bolder? She's gone. She's not here to do it anymore. So what, how can we do it? Like every, all of us were asking that question after Rachel passed. How can we, we do it together? And for all the loss that I feel like has happened and the things we've talked through this podcast and the things we've have and are still grieving, I think what we've gained in resilience and strength
2: far far exceeds it.
1: Mm.
2: And those Native leaders at Standing Rock showed us, here's how you take care of the world. (laughs) Here's how you take care of the planet. Uh, We're water protectors and people of prayer. That's how we do it. So it's the salt and light that, that... that shows us and teaches and teaches kids. Young people are looking, a lot of you who just want, they see the world, it needs to be changed, and they look for people who are changing it because they want to change it too. So, salt and light becomes critical, Allison, to the hope question. Yeah. That's where we get our hope.
1: The last page of the book quotes Frodo and Gandalf in Lord of the Rings, J.R.R. Tol- Tolkien's. He says, I wish it need not have happened in my time. I wish it need not have happened in my time, said Frodo. So do I, said Gandalf, and so do all who live to see such times. But that is not for them to decide. All we have to decide is what to do with the time that is given us.
2: So preachers need to preach more, ever more prophetically teachers need to teach formation and not just information. Writers should write ever more honestly. Lawyers should fight courageously for those who need their help. Reporters should report the facts even more diligently and speak the truth to power regardless of what the powers think about that. Artists should make art that nurtures people and makes them think and inspires them to create and act People who know climate change should fight on climate change. People working for living wages and economic justice should keep organizing. People working for racial justice should continue to build that bridge to a new America. People who work for human rights, voting rights, women's rights, immigrant rights, refugee rights, and LGBTQ rights should keep defending and advocating. We should all serve those around us, we should all be watching the people left out and left behind. That's what we do, and that's salt and light. And this test of democracy that we're facing is also a test of our faith. So may God be with us.
1: The music you're listening to is provided by this podcast's very own William Matthews.
0: Reclaiming Jesus Now is brought to you by Sojourners, faith in action for social justice.
1: Podcast produced by Paul Woodhall from the District Productive Podcast Network and Chris Latondres.
0: To learn more about Jim's new book, visit us online at book.sojo.net.
1: That's book.sojo.net.
0: And if you like what you heard today, please help us spark more conversations about the future of faith by telling a friend or leaving a quick review.
1: That makes sense all the difference thanks for listening
2: God bless you